This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, five days after the 2022 election, control of the House of Representatives remains undecided, while Democrats keep their Senate majority. How will this midterm muddle change life for Americans? Democrats braced for defeat last Tuesday, but they breathed a sigh of relief after their better-than-expected showing. A victory and a vindication for Democrats, our agenda, and for the America and for the American people. I'm not surprised by the turnout. I'm incredibly pleased. Here's how Republican Senate campaign chief described the outcome. Here's what happened to us. Election day, our voters didn't show up. What do the results mean for Washington and the rest of the country for the next few years? We'll hear from a senior advisor to President Biden and key members in Congress from both parties. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin this morning with a CBS News projection. Democrats will keep their thin Senate majority for two more years after Senator Catherine Cortez Masto's narrow win over Adam Laxalt in Nevada last night. It was Democrats' second victory this weekend following Senator Mark Kelly's projected win over Blake Masters out in Arizona. But we are still awaiting results in key House races on the West Coast that will determine the shape of Congress. CBS News estimates that Republicans maintain an edge in clinching control of the House of Representatives. But Democrats still have a shot at the majority. President Biden called it perilously close. At this hour, CBS estimates the GOP will win at least 214 seats and Democrats 210. But a majority requires 218 seats and neither party will reach that number until a handful of closely contested districts finish counting. CBS News senior national correspondent Mark Strassman has more from Atlanta. For days to come, many states will still tally ballots. But the biggest midterm winner is already clear. Democracy. It held without mobs in the streets, without violence, despite all the election denialism out there. Are you ready to take this state back? Arizona's gubernatorial race between Republican Carrie Lake and Democrat Katie Hobbs could still go either way. Lake, a Trump protege, accuses elections officials of slow-rolling returns. Reality check. No state counts all ballots by midnight election day. We're not doing anything wrong at all. And that someone from here would suggest that we are doing something wrong, that's frustrating. On the same ballot in Arizona, Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters has yet to concede. He tweeted, voters decide, not the media. Let's count the votes. And although nearly 60% of GOP election deniers are projected to win their races this year, none were top election officials in critical battleground states. Democratic candidates nationwide defied expectations, despite Republicans beating them up on inflation 
and a relentless GOP drive to yoke them to an unpopular president. But another worry drove many voters. Abortion, you know, just the right to have autonomy over one's body. And take John Fetterman's narrow win as Pennsylvania's next senator, flipping a key swing state seat to Democrats. I never expected that we were going to turn these red counties blue. In rejecting Republican Mehmet Oz, Pennsylvania voters ranked abortion as their number one issue. Oz also had the Trump seal of endorsement. Among disappointed Republicans, Trump's impact on races has led to a finger-pointing election postmortem. Complaints about unelectable candidates with extreme positions. If uh, fealty to Donald Trump is the primary criteria for selecting candidates, we're probably not going to do really well. Focus on the Senate now shifts to Georgia's runoff next month. Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker squaring off December 6th. Democrats want to win here to build a stronger majority and create leverage for Senate leaders. Margaret? Mark Strassman, thank you. We turn now to CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto for more on the trends that influence the midterm election results. Anthony, I know you haven't slept (laughs) (laughs) at all, Um, and you're still tabulating here, but big picture, Democrats defied history. How did they do it? Well, this was a turnout story, first and foremost, in my mind, and it was sort of as we expected. The uh, people, our viewers may remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the effect that turnout could have and how Republicans were on path to a narrow majority, but that the House could become even if younger people especially turned out in force. And what happened? They did. Their numbers started approaching the 2018 record levels. There was a particular group subset we called the young and restless Mm -hmm. that we were watching. And not only did they turn out, but they even shifted a little bit more Democratic, almost two thirds of them voting for Democrats. So that certainly helped the Democrats in a lot of states, a lot of districts. But the other thing it did was it offset in a relative way the impact of the MAGA Republicans. We'd call them the the Trump true believers. And they certainly turned out and had impact, but not as much in that relative way, again, because the Democrats and the younger people had turned out. At this hour, Republicans still hold an edge in gaining control of the House. Um, It's a slimmer majority if they get it. What broke in their favor? Well, let me start with another group that you and I talked about throughout this campaign, and that was the pressured parents. Mm -hmm. These were folks who said that the COVID pandemic had been stressful, stressful on their kids. Also, their finances were under stress. Well, they actually voted narrowly Republican by three points really reflective of the way the country overall did. And then the other part of that that I should mention are the the restoring Roe voters. These were women for whom abortion uh, and abortion rights were a priority in their voting. And that momentum had slowed. That momentum did slow during the campaign. And then it seemed to come back because we saw them move in the end when we did our Election Day polling mm-hmm move even more for the Democrats, going from 8 and 10 to 9 and 10 voting for Democrats, which suggests that the Democrats' messaging there in the closing, that that definitely helped the Democrats as well. What do we watch for next? Okay, there's a handful of congressional districts that are going to be the sort of center of the political universe. We're all going to watch out west in the Central Valley, California, Southern California especially. And we're probably going to have to go district by district until somebody gets to 218, going to be a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. This is typical. These places, I should say, often count their ballots over days and weeks. But that's what we're watching. Anthony Salvanto, get your coffee going. Indeed. Thank you. And we go now to Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, who was a regular on the 2022 campaign trail boosting GOP candidates. He's out with a new book called Only the Strong, and he joins us this morning from McLean, Virginia. Good morning to you, Senator. And on this Veterans Day weekend, I do want to thank you for your past military service. Um, Well, thank you, Margaret. Uh, That's kind of you. And thanks to all our veterans for their service in all of our nation's wars. 
Uh, let me get to the story uh, of the moment. Um, Democrats faced historic headwinds. Eight out of 10 Americans said they felt it was out of control. Republicans had issues like economy and crime really break in their favor. President Biden has a low approval rating. How did Republicans end up with this complete disappointment? Well, Morgan, I wouldn't say it was a complete disappointment. On the one hand, we had strong Republican leaders running on positive records of accomplishments who won very big victories. If you look at governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida, Brian Kemp in Georgia, Mike DeWine in Ohio, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, Greg Abbott in Texas, we had senators with the same victories like Marco Rubio in Florida and Tim Scott in South Carolina, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. But on the other hand, obviously we hoped that we would have won more seats. I, I think the lessons in our victories can be applied to some places where we came up a little bit short. We need to focus on serious substantive accomplishments and issues like crime, like our wide open border, like addressing runaway inflation. Even in places where we came up a little bit short, like Lee Zeldin's race for governor in New York, he performed very well compared to Republicans in recent mm -hmm. elections, and he probably helped save the House of Representatives <laughs> by bringing four new Republican congressmen-elect across the finish line in New York. So I think we have lessons in the places we had victories sure. that we can apply to places where we were disappointed. Sure, but you lost the ball game in the Senate. Uh, Karl Rove blamed candidate quality and specifically put the blame on former President Trump. He said, Mr. Trump turned what should have been a referendum on Mr. Biden's terrible record into a choice between himself and the current president. As in 2020, lots of voters chose Mr. Biden. Should Mr. Trump remain the leader of the Republican Party? Well, Margaret, when, the party, when any party is out of power, as Republicans are now, we don't have a single leader. Uh, the former president is obviously very popular with many of our voters, but we also have important other leaders as well, like some of those victors I just mentioned uh, earlier, like Brian Kemp in Georgia, Ron DeSantis in Florida. Last year, you had Glenn Youngkin have a great victory in a, a bluish Democratic state like Virginia. Uh, I hope to remain a leader in the United States Senate as well, in addition to people like some of those I just mentioned who are reelected, like Tim Scott. So when you're in opposition, you don't have a single leader. That won't be the case until we're through the 2024 nominating season and we, mm -hmm. have, and we have a new nominee. You said you're not going to run for president in 2024. Uh, the former president says he intends to announce he's running on Tuesday. Should he be the automatic nominee or should he face a, a primary? Well, Margaret, since I opted against being a candidate in 2024, I, I don't plan to be a pundit or a strategist. In well, you just threw out a whole bunch of names I, of guys who might be running for president, <laughs> Senator. Are you endorsing that? And, I, and I, I know almost... I, I know almost all of them personally, and I respect their accomplishments, not just their big victories uh, on Tuesday or last year in Glenn's case, but also their accomplishments in office. But, you know, I know everyone already wants to focus on 2024. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to remind everyone that we're still in the middle of the 2022 midterm because we're in overtime in Georgia. Yeah. And the most important thing we can do is elect Herschel Walker to make sure that we can keep the pressure on Democrats in the Senate not to veer far to the left as they have over the last two years. That's why <laughs> I think everyone should remain focused for these next three weeks. Should uh, leadership elections in the Senate be delayed until uh, December? Um, and should Mitch McConnell remain as a Republican leader in the Senate? Well, I don't see why we would delay the election since all five or six of our leadership elections are uncontested. You know, the, the great wrestling champion Ric Flair used to say to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so far, no one's had the nerve to step forward and challenge Senator McConnell. So I support Senator McConnell. I support the other slate of candidates for our leadership elections. I think it's better that we move forward with these elections so we can focus again on the Georgia runoff. All right. Um, I want to ask you as well about what will be a consequential meeting tomorrow between President Biden and President Xi Jinping of China. They're first to face face to face uh, of the Biden presidency. Um, Mr. Biden says he wants to talk through red lines to understand critical interests. Can the U.S. avoid conflict with China at this point? 
we want to avoid conflict with China, most certainly uh, in the military sense. I don't think we can avoid conflict and tension in the terms of, of diplomatic and economic and political competition. I would urge the president to be very firm in drawing those red lines. We don't want to see a repeat of what happened last summer in Russia when Vladimir Putin walked away from their summit in Europe tempted to go for the jugular in Ukraine, especially a month later after the collapse in Afghanistan, or a replay of something I write about in my new book, Only the Strong, of the disastrous Vienna summit in 1961 between John Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev, which encouraged Russian leaders to rampage all around the world for the next year. So I hope the president is very clear in drawing red lines, for instance, saying that the recent rule against China using American semiconductor technology is only the first step. I hope he's very clear about Taiwan, that we'll continue to arm Taiwan so it can defend itself. And if China goes for the jugular in Taiwan, then we will come to their aid. That's the simplest way to avoid military conflict mm -hmm. is to be clear and firm up front. But what would you recommend in terms of China not going for the jugular, but a slow strangulation to take over Taiwan, which I know you know is one of the scenarios national security officials are concerned about? Well, the simplest thing we can do for Taiwan is what we should have started doing for Ukraine before Russia invaded Ukraine is to provide them with the weaponry that they need to stop an invasion. Uh, it's urgent that we do so now because unlike Ukraine, Taiwan is an island, which means China could blockade it and we might not be able to resupply them once China might start military conflict. So it's urgent that we accelerate arms sales to Taiwan, the kind of anti-ship, anti-aircraft missiles and sea mines that they mm -hmm. need to fend off a potential evasion from the communist Chinese. Yeah. With China, it's a hard problem set because, as you know, our economies are so interlinked. iPhones are made in China. We learned during the pandemic how dependent we are on the supply chain. They own an enormous amount of U.S. debt. You're arguing to separate the two economies. But people like Hank Paulson of the Bush administration have said that'll end up with a less stable world with really dangerous economic forces here. How do you possibly do that? Well, Margaret, as I write now in The Strong, it was a bad mistake by leaders in both parties going back 30 years to allow China to get itself so entangled in the United States and to allow us to become so economically dependent in so many ways, whether it's things like high-tech uh, electronic equipment or low-tech basic pharmaceutical ingredients or medical equipment. What I say in Only the Strong is yeah. that we should try to decouple in a strategic sense so we don't harm our own people, but we're no longer dependent on those critical sectors that we depend on to keep ourselves safe, safe, mm -hmm. healthy, and prosperous. It, it's one thing yeah. if Americans buy, you know, say, children's toys or plastic Christmas trees from China. It's another yeah. thing if China has the market cornered on things like basic pharmaceutical ingredients yeah. or the rare earth elements that are so vital to all modern electronics. Well, we have to we'll do watch. so in a smart way, but we have to be aggressive and quick about it. We'll watch to see if there's congressional action on any of that. Senator, thank you for your time today. And I'm joined now in the studio by Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, who also serves in the House Select Committee investigating January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Um, welcome. Democrats still have a shot here, uh, although Republicans have the edge in taking the House. What do Americans need to be prepared for what the next two years looks like? Well, first of all, don't count us out um, the way we were counted out from the very beginning in this election. They were saying the Republicans were going to pick up 40, 50, 60 seats. But the party of democracy and freedom and progress for the people held. Um, and so we've had a, a very impressive election, and we're going to continue to fight for social progress, and we're going to fight for the political rights of the people, which means against gerrymandering, against voter suppression tactics, mm -hmm. against manipulative uh, use of the filibuster and the Electoral College to thwart the will of the majority. So we're going to continue to fight for a strong democracy program. Yeah, it's going to be hard to legislate, though, uh, any way we look at it. I want to ask you about what you're working on with the January 6th committee. Um, former President Trump basically is going to defy the subpoena you issued. He's planning to announce he's running for the presidency on Tuesday. Is the prime achievement of the January 6th committee simply going to be this written report? You're not appearing to stop him from running. Well, um, in a democracy, the people have the right to the truth. And what we withstood 
was a systematic assault on democratic institutions in an attempt to overthrow a presidential election. So we have set forth the truth in a series of hearings, and we're going to set forth the truth in our final report, along with a set of legislative recommendations about what we need to do to fortify American democracy against coups, insurrections, electoral sabotage, and political violence with domestic violent extremist groups involved. So we're going to put all of that out there. Look, uh, when when I was uh, over in the Senate with the impeachment team, I told the Republicans there that this was our opportunity to deal with the problem of Donald Trump, who had committed high crimes and misdemeanors against the people of the United States. And they needed to act on behalf of the country and the Constitution. But if they didn't, he would become their problem. And at this point, Donald Trump is the problem of the Republican Party, and he may destroy their party. Can you get an Electoral Count Act passed in this lame duck session? I think we can. Uh, That's the bare minimum of what we need to do. It's necessary. It's not remotely sufficient to the task, because what we saw in in 2021 and earlier in 2020 was a systematic assault on the right to vote in an attempt to steal a presidential election by Donald Trump an attempt to overthrow the constitutional order. So I think we can reform the Electoral Count Act, passing the legislation that Zoe Lofgren and Liz Cheney have proposed. But that's um, just one small part of what needs to be done, needs to be done to protect American constitutional democracy. Election deniers didn't prevail in the key battlegrounds, but CBS tallied it. And at least 155 House Republicans in the new Congress have raised unfounded doubts about the validity or integrity of the 2020 election. These are going to be your colleagues that you will be working with. What change is that going to affect in the work you do? Well, that's a statement about the political contamination of the GOP by Donald Trump. And again, Um, You know, Kevin McCarthy and other leaders within the Republican Party are now required to make a decision about whether they're going to try to rid themselves of Donald Trump um, and his toxic influence on the party. These 155 Uh, House Republicans are his constituency. Kevin McCarthy, if he wants to be leader, will need to consider. Yes. Well, it's a real problem for Kevin McCarthy now because. Um, there are certain uh, pro-Trumpists within his House caucus who refuse to accept that he's really with Trump and they want to get rid of McCarthy. And some of them, they, they have names very early in the alphabet, like Biggs, and they might just vote for Trump when they you know, take the roll call for speaker. So we know that the the hard right Freedom Caucus people are in search of another candidate. And one potential candidate Uh, whose name has been floated, is Donald Trump himself, because the Speaker of the House does not have to be a member of the House. And they are talking about putting Trump right there. That's not a real option, though. Well, they talk about it repeatedly. And if Trump decided he wanted to do it, it would pose a profound problem for their party because they refused to do the right thing early on. I mean, today it seems like the spell has been broken. It's begun to dissolve. We don't have Republicans around the country claiming that they really won when it's mm-hmm. been certified that they lost their elections. Um, and yet there is still this big lie dogma, which, as you say, has been embraced by 150 members within their caucus. And so that is going to create profound cognitive and political dissonance within the GOP. Is it really Trump's party or does it stand for something else? And Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are going to force that question. They're going to force the Republicans to choose. Would you urge President Biden and the White House to comply with all these House Republican investigations that have been promised? Well, obviously, everybody's got to comply with the law, such as the law is. Um, You know, we would hope that they would feel chastened by the voters of America who dealt them an historic repudiation. I mean, they were talking about picking up 40 or 50 or 60 seats. Mm -hmm. Um, We the Democrats may indeed win the House the way yesterday we won uh, the Senate. So it is a repudiation of that kind of right wing, big lie, election denying character assassination politics that Donald Trump brought right to the heart of the Republican Party. Congressman, thank you for being here and joining us today. We'll be right back in a moment. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion 
while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to Anita Dunn. She's a senior advisor to President Biden, and she joins us this morning from Chevy Chase, Maryland. Uh, Good morning to you. I assume it was a uh, late night for you. Um, Given that Democrats have defied expectations, you still will have only a thin majority in the Senate. Republicans still have a shot at gaining the House. What becomes possible now? You know, the president and the Democrats accomplished a huge amount with a 50-50 Senate and a extremely narrow House majority in the first two years of President Biden's term. So, you know, the president's been clear, as he was in his press conference this week, Margaret, which is he's going to reach out his hand to work with the Republicans. And the question is whether they will reach out their hand to his. But given these narrow majorities, you know, obviously the Senate, we Democrats will control. The House is still up in the air. Voters in this country are going to expect their leaders to work together. The president has said he wants to take it slow in terms of defining priorities over the next few weeks in this lame duck session. What's the business you need to get done? Well, Margaret, as you know, we have to keep the government open and funded. That is obviously priority number one. Then, and it's going to take a little while still for lame duck priorities to really be set, given the uncertainty about the outcomes of the election still. I don't think anybody would have uh, predicted that we would still not know who would control the United States House of Representatives the following Sunday. But other lame duck priorities will certainly include additional funding for Ukraine, which has been, and the president has said he hopes will continue to be a bipartisan issue in the United States Congress. Obviously, emergency funding for the Um, natural disasters that Florida and Puerto Rico suffered earlier this year, and additional priorities for the administration as well. But keep the government open and running is the number one priority. It looks like Democrats owe a big part of their uh, better-than-expected performance to young voters who turned out. About 26 million Americans are now stuck in limbo because they'd been promised student debt relief. Now it's caught up in the courts. If you lose in court, I know you're waiting for that. Will this just be a broken promise? So, Margaret, we believe we're going to prevail in court because the arguments that and the law are on the administration's side and, and make no mistake about it. The administration, you know, President Biden made this commitment to people in America is not just young people. It's also people of every age. We've gotten letters at the White House from people who have retired who are talking about what a difference loan forgiveness is going to make. But is and there a plan B if the court strikes it down? We're not going to back down. We believe we're going to prevail in court. And at that point, we will swiftly move to make sure that the over 26 million people at this point who have whose information this administration has that will move swiftly for loan forgiveness. Voters in key states like Pennsylvania rated abortion access as a top concern for them. Um, But if Republicans take the House, what is it that the president can actually do here? And is there room for compromise on restrictions uh, with some of the Republicans who said they're open to securing abortion access? So the president has been very clear. He believes Congress needs to codify Roe versus Wade, so that it is the national law of the land. And he has said if Democrats control the House and the Senate, that he will send a bill to codify this nationally. He will continue to work, as our administration has since this ruling came down, to make sure that the travel of women who want to go to states where abortion is legal is not impeded, that people are able to get reproductive health care, that women who have other medical issues aren't denied care, which is happening, Margaret. And at the end of the day, 
you know, the president said when this ruling came down, it was going to be a political issue that voters needed to go to the polls and make their voices heard. And there's a huge amount of evidence that's exactly what happened. So the real question is whether the Republicans will listen to those voices. Well, uh, we'll see if there's any compromise there Um, on what happens if the Republicans do get this slim majority. It ups the chances of all of these investigations that Kevin McCarthy um, has promised are coming. Um, Would you say today that the White House will comply with them? The Trump administration was heavily criticized for defying Congress's request for appearances and documents. Will the Biden White House comply? You know, Margaret, many of the um, Republicans who have been talking about these investigations and um, even potential impeachment have made no secret of the fact that they have a political agenda that they are trying to advance through these. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the White House has and will continue to apply with fair and legitimate um, oversight because we are a White House that respects norms and the rule of law. But I think that, you know, the American people didn't vote for Congress being used to conduct political vendettas over the next two years. They voted for. I know we're still counting votes from this election, but as you know, uh, former President Trump plans to announce he's running in 2024 this Tuesday. You've already been involved, as you said, just being prudent in planning for President Biden to also run. Does the Trump announcement change any part of your planning or calculus? You know, the president has made it clear he intends to run and that he will make a formal decision later this year or early next year. You don't run for president because of what the other side is doing or what another candidate may be doing. The president will run because he feels that he is the best person to continue the progress that we have made in this country. We'll be watching and listening. Anita Dunn, thank you for your time. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For some analysis on the election and its impact, we are joined now by a panel of political pros. Ashley Etienne, a CBS political contributor and a former aide to Vice President Harris and Speaker Pelosi. Joel Payne is a Democratic strategist and also a CBS political contributor. Leslie Sanchez is a Republican strategist and also part of the team here at CBS. And Brendan Buck is a former top aide to speakers Paul Ryan and John Boehner. It's good to have you all here. And I know you're going to explain everything that happened. (laughs) Um, But, Brendan, I want to start with you. Uh, We were just hearing about how slim the majorities could be if the GOP does pull off this win in the House. Um, Conservative Republicans from within the Freedom Caucus made your last two bosses' lives very, very difficult. What is it that Kevin McCarthy would face if he steps into leadership of the Republican Party in the House. Yeah, it's a very difficult moment. You know, when we had trouble sometimes keeping everybody in line, we had a pretty healthy majority, sometimes 10, 15, 30 seats. Um, This is a potential situation where you could have two seats to play with, and that's almost an impossible. Being a Republican Speaker of the House is impossible to begin with. (laughs) But with a a two-seat majority, what that allows is every single member has enormous leverage over the Speaker of the House. And that's what they're starting to assert on him. They are trying to say, if you want my vote to be Speaker, you have to do things the way that I want them to be done. And all that does is weaken the Speaker. And and a weak Speaker only helps Democrats. But each one of these people don't really seem to care much about leadership. They get a lot of their power. Uh, A rank-and-file Republican gets a lot of their power by by attacking leadership. And and it plays to the the base and the the grassroots. So we're in this this cycle where they're just going to keep attacking each other. They're going to benefit. All it's going to do is is hurt the speaker. And ultimately, I don't know that much is going to get done legislatively. 
But these oversight investigations are still going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. All you need is one more seat. So I still think it's going to be a pretty active, busy House. So, Ashley, to that point, um, you know, one Democratic strategist said to me, because of what Brendan described, it's going to be a knife fight for two years and you don't put someone untested in the leadership role on the Democratic side. That sounded to me like Speaker Pelosi at 82 years old is staying in Congress. Well, I'll just say this. If we t- take a step back, I was just thinking how to describe. You don't want to say if she's staying no, no, or not. No, no, <laughs> no. I do. I'm happy to get into it. But I was just, you know, if we, as a Democrat, I just want to sort of absorb this moment that we're currently mm-hmm. in. You know, I was thinking I'm not a linguist, but like there's got to be something worse than a shellacking that happens <laughs> on Tuesday. No, I think that the speaker is in the power position. I mean, I've always known the speaker to be in a power position. But after the results, we, we overperformed in the election. There was no wave. This really solidifies her legacy is the most accomplished speaker in American history, in my opinion. I think there's no doubt about that. But what, you know, when she she recently gave an interview and, and she basically said this morning, listen, we're still in this fight. Let's not make any assumptions. Let's hold off on it. I'm always willing to bet on the speaker. But there's two things I know about her. One, she's going to make her decision on her own terms. And two, she's going to keep us all guessing. Mm-hmm. And on her own terms after this horrendous attack on her husband recently, um, which says a lot. Uh, Joel, we were talking with Senator Cotton about the other question of leadership over in the Senate, um, where Democrats have this razor thin majority. What is going on from your understanding within the ranks? And I want Leslie to jump in, too, of leadership on the Senate side. Well, I think it's pretty stable on the Senate side. If you're a Democrat, you got to feel really good about Chuck Schumer delivering on that Democratic agenda, particularly in the last kind of quarter of the last Congress. you got someone like Gary Peters who ran the Democratic campaign machine to a lot of a plum. You've got a really strong, experienced leadership core. So I actually think that, you know, for maybe, gosh, Ashley, uh, we've, we've got relative peace, a uh, peace of prosperity in the Democratic <laughs> leadership ranks of the Senate, which I think House, is, and, and in the House, by the way, she knows I'm a Senate guy. But yeah, I actually think it's a time of a lot of peace. And by the way, Chuck Schumer, um, probably among the winners um, when you look at what happened this week, um, leaning into that kind of pro- Democratic agenda, um, by the way, Biden Democrats did well. And there's a lot of Biden Democrats in that Senate caucus. Mm-hmm. Well, the best he can get done if Republicans take the House is to confirm some judicial nominees. So is that interesting. it in the next I, few years? I've been talking to some folks, some high ranking Democrats, and they'll tell you we're going to double down on prescription drugs. We're going to go after insulin pricing. We're going to try to codify Roe. We're going to keep pursuing anti-inflationary measure, measures. Well, that's why that race in Georgia becomes really important, because in an era where uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema exist, and also when you have Dianne Feinstein in your caucus, who is a little older, it helps to have that extra um, insurance of another vote. Mm-hmm. I think the only assurance coming out of that is going to be judicial appointments, because everything else is going to be really difficult, um, especially if you're talking about an economic agenda and getting Republicans to come on board. And, uh, and Margaret, I'm just going to jump in since I started on this part. I want to say about Tuesday, Republicans were expecting a revolution. They got a revelation. And a, the revelation is a lot about the impact of women voters in this area and how they are activated. We know from 2018 and 2020 that there, with a sense of urgency, you see women run, donate, you know, a, a protest and get engaged. Comes the Dobbs decisions, we court Dobbs decision in June. It did have that impact that a lot of Republicans are not talking about in areas that mattered, whether it was a ballot initiative or something you had like Michigan or a suburban area like Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And the second part of that, we did see positive sides with women and the Republican Party when it came to to strong governance mm-hmm. or when governors who look like they were really holding the line, whether they're male or female, they were rewarded by those suburban white women and also working class uh, Latino and white women. So I, I think there's a big takeaway that, that gets lost in this conversation mm-hmm. and that will be a part of the agenda moving forward. So let's talk about that um, in the governor's mansions. So in addition to Florida's governor DeSantis, other Republican governors who signed abortion restrictions into law also won re-election. I'm thinking of Ohio's DeWine, Brian Kemp, Georgia, Greg Abbott in Texas. They all won by significant margins. Then you look at those who won with healthy backing from women, DeSantis, Abbott, Sununu, DeWine. These Republicans won women. Absolutely. And it wasn't about abortion. No. uh, What was it about? The economic issue overall. I mean, the the so single-issue voters, people that were voting on abortion, 
in those critical swing areas, they made the difference. But if you back up, you take an aggregate view of a state like like Florida, for example, when it was important to get people back to work, you have a lot of working class families who didn't have the luxury of working from home that realized their small businesses need to keep moving. And tourism was a big part of Florida's industry. Mm-hmm. Getting that going helped. He was rewarded, rewarded dramatically. And you have a lot of small business owners that are women who cared about those types of issues. So that's a very good model. But if it's an extreme model, I would say on one side or the other is when you get a lot, mostly white college educated women who come out against those extremes. And in many cases, the extreme can be a Donald Trump. Uh, he, he activates women mm-hmm. uh, to respond. The counter uh, response is visceral uh, one way or the other. And I've been speaking to some MAGA supporters, some loyalists on his side, and they say, while they still love the former president, the thrill is gone. They are tired of the big ego and the name calling. And I think it's a caution for the Republican Party. Yeah, I was just going to say, Leslie, I think that's a top takeaway. The question that remains is what, when are Republicans going to learn the lesson? The MAGA movement has been a loser since day one. You've lost three cycles now in a big way. You know, there's calls inside and outside the party for Republicans to take back their party. Uh, Rupert Murdoch and all his properties are sort of abandoning the president. And so for me, it's, 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 you know, the, the party, the Republican Party is at a crossroads now. The question is, what are you going to do? And I think the challenge for them and problem is you can't win with the MAGA movement, Mm -hmm. but you can't walk away from them. As you said earlier, Margaret, there's 150 of them that are in the House caucus. And then the president, former president, is suggesting that he's going to run again. Mm -hmm. He's omnipresent in this whole debate. So that's really the challenge. And I think in the next week, it's going to be interesting to see if the MAGA movement sort of loosens its grip on the GOP going forward. I mean, it's a big, big week for Republicans coming up in terms of their organizing. But that's the real question. When are you going to learn? the lesson. Yeah, and I don't know that we will. I mean, how many times have we been given the opportunity to learn the lesson after after January 6th? And we've had leaders say it's time to turn the page. Mitch McConnell was on the Senate floor. Kevin McCarthy was on the Senate floor saying it's time sure. to move on. Yeah. But every time that runs into voters and voters aren't ready to move on. And so we can have another moment where all the people in Washington say we don't we want somebody else. Uh, but if voters don't, they're probably going to backtrack very quickly. I thought mm-hmm. your interview with Tom Cotton was fascinating earlier. He was saying, as much as all of us could hear, he wants somebody else to be the nominee. He's name-dropping other people that he mm-hmm. wants to be the nominee. But he wouldn't say it's tied to move on for Trump. Sure. Right. Because they can't do that. Because you're going to lose base Republican voters. We have an example of this in, in the Senate race. Uh, Joe Day, who is running in Colorado, uh, was running a really great race, everybody thought. And he was doing it a little different than you usually see. He was saying, I'm not a Trump Republican. And was trying to say, like, I'm appealing to a, to a middle. Mm-hmm. He pissed off Donald Trump. Donald Trump attacked him. And he, and he lost significantly because Trump voters ran away from him. A, a Trump advisor, I asked, who, because they are planning this announcement on Tuesday for the former president to announce his candidacy. I asked about, don't you need to show unity with the party since you have the Senate race in Georgia? And the answer was, it's unity with the base that we are showing. So is, is he forcing a question? I, I just think that's mistaken. Also, like, I, look, I love all this. Um, you know, deep introspection of the Republican Party. But I do think you should think about Democrats here, particularly President Biden. So, you know, talking to folks who are pretty familiar with the president. Because you're saying thinking, they didn't lose, you won. I, that's what I'm saying. If you talk to people who are familiar with the president's thinking, curve, though. You they know will, that. I, I am, they will tell <laughs> you that the Biden coalition is pretty durable. It showed up, obviously, in 2020. It looks like it showed up mostly here. College educated, young voters, Latinos, particularly um, in some of those areas where we thought they wouldn't show up, African-Americans. Um, independence being competitive with them. That coalition showed up in 20, showed up in 22, and I think they think it could show up in 24. Also, candidate quality matters. Some of the folks that you referenced, those are some of your better Republican candidates. Right. Mm-hmm. The reason why Republicans struggled, I would say, is because the candidate quality imbalance was way in the favor of Democrats. And Most of those candidates endorsed by the former president. Uh, I was to say, on the fundamentals, people would say that the Trump coalition, very much to this point, is going to show up, that it is very strong. What I'm saying is different. 2016, it was refreshing to have somebody like Donald Trump, and now it is more like fatigue post a pandemic. And these are their words, not mine. And that's why I think the cautionary wind. But pick up, would you, on what Joel was talking about with Hispanic voters? Because I know you've been looking at this very carefully in Texas, and you think Democrats shouldn't bank on that. 
Absolutely not, because what we saw is there is a transformation that's happening with working class Latino families. They're not necessarily on the education line, but on the income line. If they're moving out to those exurbs, those suburban areas, those rural areas in red precincts, they are breaking the way of Republicans increasingly. Married families, very traditional in that sense that feel they're not they may still still self-identify as a Democrat, but they feel the party has left them. That's an opportunity. And Republicans close that gap by 50 percent this last I agree with that. Republicans do have an opportunity there. And I think, by the way, both sides would be um, they, they would be wise to not overcorrect to either of their kind of farce bases. I think there is a an agenda, the Biden agenda that works, that's proven to work. I think you'll see a lot of Democrats who are maybe late adopters who will be a little bit more eager to jump on that Biden agenda. And I actually think there's probably a muted Biden coalition out there that doesn't get represented in the public opinion polling and a lot of the public discussion that, again, I think it does show up pretty reliably. But, Joel, let's talk about what actually did work for the Republicans. Tom Cotton mentioned Kemp and DeSantis. Both of those two candidates and governors ran away from Trump mm-hmm. and ran away from the MAGA uh, movement. So as so I, I love that we're having this debate, but it yeah. seems divorced of the reality that there was not a wave and that there doesn't need to be some corrections on the part of the uh, of the Republicans and that the playbook has been laid out. And I think DeSantis and Kemp have laid it out. Ashley, let me ask you about 2024 yes. Democrats mm-hmm. playbook. Feels good. Uh, Vice, <laughs> Vice President <laughs> Harris was out there talking a lot about reproductive yes, health. I think health. Did she deserve any credit for this? Because we don't talk about her much in the realm of 2024. Yeah, she actually, I mean, well, A, I I will start by saying I expect that the president will run in 2024, and I think he should. I mean, he's got an incredible record. He's defied all expectation, all odds. You know, he's probably the most underestimated politician in uh, in recent history. But in terms of the vice president, she did yeoman's work and, you know, I think the number is like 36 states talking about uh, abortion and women's right and reproductive rights and democracy. So she had a really big impact on the ground that doesn't really bubble up to Washington, mm-hmm. but really drove people out and drove uh, local local stories and, you know, energy on the ground. So I just expect the president will run and he should. With the vice president. On the oh, day, absolutely. The uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> just have to ask. We're talking a lot about 2024 since it starts. Um, really right now, frankly, and gets underway. Um, I, just very quickly before we go, um, Joel, closing thought from you on what clinched it in Pennsylvania. Well, what clinched in Pennsylvania, it looks like, was abortion. If you look at the exit polling, abortion outperformed inflation. Doesn't mean inflation is not important, but it does mean that Democrats, as Anthony referred to earlier in the show, did um, mm-hmm. hit a chord with abortion that really resonated with voters. All right. Good to have all of you here in person to talk. We'll be back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. In these challenging times, we pause to reflect and thank those in the military for their service and sacrifice, as we do each November. At the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, fighting in World War I stopped. The war to end all wars did not prevent a global one 20 years later. Again and again and again, American servicemen and women have continued to sacrifice, defending against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Today, less than 10% of American adults are military veterans, according to the VA. Just 1% of adults serve on active duty. That makes it hard for most to relate to combat survivors battling traumatic stress. 
Retired Army Colonel Chris Kalenda, who served four combat tours in Afghanistan, told me that he has lost more of his unit to suicide and substance abuse than he did to enemy fire. How should people ask veterans about their service? Tell me about your service. What was the best experience you ever had? What was the most awesome thing about your service? I mean, those sort of very safe questions, very positive questions, are just easy ones uh, that keep, get people talking. Simply trying to understand is one way to honor the dead and serve the living. We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, Maryland Democrat, Congressman Jamie Raskin, Senior Advisor to President Biden, Anita Dunn, and our political panel with CBS contributors, Ashley Etienne, Joel Payne, Leslie Sanchez, and Brendan Buck, a former A2 speakers, Paul Ryan and John Boehner. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.